Today's episode of On the Shoulders of Giants is brought to you by Best in Vermont Tours and Charters. Are you getting married and need help transporting your guests to and from your wedding? Or maybe you're planning a birthday party or a bachelor or bachelorette party for your best friend. Or are you a team leader or a small business owner and planning a fun team building experience for your employees? Or maybe you're in sales and want to show your clients a good time during their stay in Vermont. Well, Best in Vermont Tours and Charters provides worry-free transportation services in their 14-seater passenger tour bus. With affordable rates, a comfortable ride, and your own professional chauffeur, Best in Vermont will transport you and your guests to your destinations and also guarantee a safe ride back home. Best in Vermont also features the Vermont Brew Hop, a customized craft brewery tour that visits the best breweries in our area. You will get first-hand experience of why there is so much hype around Vermont's microbrews. So please check them out at bestinvt.com. That's B-E-S-T-I-N-V-T dot com. Or on Facebook at Best in VT Tours and Charters. Thanks, and now on with the show. I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is the podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. As many of my loyal listeners would know, I've talked before about how I've always felt the call to public office. My grandfather on my dad's side was a village chief. My grandfather on my mother's side, a political activist and political detainee. My father was a two-term councilman in Zimbabwe's third largest city. And many of my relatives took up positions in civil service after Zimbabwe's independence in 1980. The idea of being involved in shaping how our cities and states are governed has always been a fascination of mine. Maybe one day you'll see my name on the ballot or a campaign, just as I did in 2011 when I saw the name of Miro Weinberger and wondered what his story was and why he would give up a successful and promising career in the private sector to run for mayor of Burlington. Mayor Miro Weinberger, welcome to the On the Shoulders of Giants podcast. Well, thank you for having me. That was very interesting summary of your uh of your interest in your past uh, i think uh being serving in local and state government is a very meaningful and important activity so uh, i'm excited to talk more about it great so uh miro is an interesting name uh, is it short for something and where did that originate from no it's not short for anything it's the whole name m-i-r-o and 
the best way I've come to explain it over the years is it is uh, kind of a, a function of my parents being in college in Berkeley during the 60s. They were uh, out on the West Coast uh, in school, and my mother uh, heard a mother calling to her son on the street, Moreau, come here, Moreau, and somehow that name just uh, it stayed with her, and she remembered it for many years. And when uh, when I was born some years later, uh, they they went with it. I think it served me well in life. I've, I've come to, you know, there's sometimes during grade school, I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't so sure I liked it, but uh, <laughs> from a public service perspective, people remember it. It's unique. So that, that's a good thing. So where did you grow up and uh, what were some of your earliest childhood memories? Well, I was born and raised in Vermont. I uh, was born in Brattleboro, Vermont. My parents were living in the Upper Valley, the Heartland, uh, Woodstock area. And they were closer to the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Hospital than Brattleboro. But interestingly, um, back then, uh, the uh, Brattleboro Hospital was the only one in the area that allowed uh, fathers to witness their children's births. And that was important to my oh, parents. Really? So that's why I was born in, yeah, that's why I was born in Brattleboro. And uh, then I, um, we moved a couple times just within the Upper Valley area. But basically, I, from the time uh, I was five on, lived in the same house on a long dirt road. and. Heartland, Vermont. I went to Heartland Elementary School and then uh, went to public school in Woodstock, the Woodstock Union High School. That's where I graduated high school from. Um, and then so it wasn't until I was uh, 18 that I left the state uh, and, um, uh, you know, went to college and, and then worked for a while. And then ultimately went to graduate school and then moved back to Vermont when I was 32 to start a, start a business. So did you at any time in your childhood get exposed to politics? I did, and I, I think that was probably why we're having this conversation um, in that, um, you know, my parents had been in Berkeley. That's not a, you know, that, that's not a joke. They were there during the some difficult years for the country. They were part of the anti-war movement, and uh, they we were the kind of family that had dinner together every night, and we almost every night talked about current events and we talked about politics and from a very early age I came to think of uh, elected officials as doing something important and uh, and noble at some level and um, it was uh, on my mind from uh, from the time you know as long as I can remember that at some point I might want to have something to do with public service. Hmm. Interesting and uh, so Taking that a step further, you ended up actually interning with uh, Senator Patrick Leahy. What formative experiences did that give you on your journey to becoming mayor? It was a really important experience. Uh, there was a year after my sophomore year in college, I um, you know, took a year off from my studies and did a number of great things. Uh, I got to travel to Alaska uh, and uh, was on a National Outdoor Leadership School course, and I uh, worked for a local television station and, and uh, did a number of things over the course of that year. But I, for eight months of that year, I um, interned in Senator Leahy's office uh, and opened mail, but and also got to work on, you know, intern-type projects and research projects. And uh, what was probably most important about that experience for me is it showed me how... Um, you know, kind of how a real working political government office worked and the amount of 
conversation that the senator had across the aisle with senators from Republican states um, and got to go to the cafeteria and uh, meet and talk with interns from Republican offices. And, um, you know, I can't, I, I think having been um, raised by people who their formative political experiences had been in this, you know, really polarizing time during the anti-war movement, it was also very important to me, I think important for me kind of maturing uh, to see a different side of politics, one where party affiliations were not quite so important and where, you know, there was really a lot uh, of, uh, you know, even people that didn't agree with the senator, I sense uh, usually uh, were, you know, motivated by uh, trying to do right for their communities. And uh, they may come to different conclusions about the best way to do that, but it, it, uh, it certainly was a time, uh, early 90s, it was before some of the extreme partisanship we now see. And uh, that, was, you know, that was important to see that a lot of the workings of government um, were, were kind of different than the, the headlines and the, and the partisanship that you would often see in the news. So that was powerful to me. Have you kept in touch with some of those interns that you met during the, your time there? Um, I have not at this point. I don't think I'm in touch with any of the interns from that period. That I guess the other very important thing, however, uh, from that is I have stayed in touch with uh, the people, you know, the senator himself and the people who have continued to work for the senator for a long period of time now. And um, those people, you know, a couple of them from friends I made in that period uh, have gone on to be real mentors from, for me. Uh, in particular, there's a man named Luke Aldi, who for a long time was the senior most uh, aide to Senator Leahy. And uh, he's really played a very significant role in my life that advised me at a lot of key times and um, uh, and is, a, is, a, is both a friend and someone whose uh, advice I trust a lot. And, and um, that's very important, I think, to succeeding in public life. And, and as an elected official, you need, to, you need to be able to talk to many different people and get their advice as you're trying to uh, sort your way through the, you know, the complicated process of uh, getting elected and, and uh, staying in office. Uh, and that it's, you know, it's a difficult, it's a challenging, it's a challenging uh, line of work. Having people like Luke to be able to talk to has uh, been very important to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. So, prior to your decision to run for mayor, what was your career trajectory? Where were you headed? Well, um, after Senator Leahy's office, I went back to school, uh, finished uh, my undergraduate degree, and knew I was, you know, for the reasons we've been discussing, interested in in politics and government. And so the first job I had out of school, well, I had a short stint where I was a volunteer for Habitat for Humanity, and that ends up becoming important in my career as well. But I then went back to D.C., and in part because of the relationships that I had uh, established with during the time with the senator, I was able to get a job with the campaign for Senator Harris Wofford from Pennsylvania. He was uh, someone who had been a um, was serving a, a three-year term um, and was up for re-election because uh, he had, you know, it had been sort of a special election. And he was in a very difficult race uh, against someone uh, you may have heard of, uh, he, uh, Rick Santorum, 
Um, and so for a year, I worked on that campaign, and it was a very hotly contested uh, campaign. I learned a great deal about how campaigns work over the course of that year um, and loved it in a lot of ways. I, uh, I, I find campaigns to be a you know, very interesting, compelling activity to be involved with. Um, uh, so I kind of had the bug when I finished with that and, and was, uh, you know, it was confirmation of what I had kind of explained to you as a child of, of thinking this was an important and an exciting line of work. Um, but I also at that point, um, you know, I made a decision that while uh, I still was interested in, in governance and, and politics, uh, that it was important to uh, have a broader perspective than a career um, only in that. Um, I, I just kind of looked around and understood that, uh, uh, you know, a, a life as an elected official um, can be very unpredictable and also uh, insular. Uh, I thought it was important to have a broader set of perspectives as well. And so I then pursued for the next 15 years uh, another interest, which uh, is related, but is separate, uh, a career in, in housing and community development. I um, had had that great experience uh, building a uh, Habitat for Humanity home for an elderly couple in Georgia, and uh, rural Georgia, and um, went back to Habitat after the Wofford campaign uh, and worked on a larger uh, Habitat for Humanity project, and then ended up going back to graduate school uh, and got a degree in uh, public policy with a focus on housing and urban development issues, which was a great experience. Um, and, and a lot of, uh, a lot of the learning from that period, I, you know, has definitely helped me over the last five years. Um, and then, uh, from that worked for a nonprofit community development organization in the New York city area where I was building housing for formerly homeless families, um, and working on kind of inner city uh, economic development initiatives, and uh, from that experience, uh, then uh, ended up coming back to Vermont and starting my own company that continued to do that kind of work, that worked for and with nonprofits in New Hampshire and Vermont, uh, building affordable housing projects and some community development projects, and got to work some, on some great projects over the next decade. That's a, that's a pretty impressive yeah. resume you you're bringing to the table, and all along I'm assuming you you've got this itch that is nagging at you, the, you know, to kind of end up in public office. And I'm just curious, you're Yale educated, you've got a promising and successful private sector career, you know, how do you then create an indifference towards that that you've built uh, that could have potentially have made you a ton of money to then take your place in public service well here's what happened the um the decade that i had my own company in vermont you know began in basically 2002 at the end of 2002 i moved back to burlington then and um did build this company i am proud of what we accomplished we built a, a couple hundred homes from northern vermont to southern new hampshire and we were involved in some great uh redevelopment uh you know, we took a mill in uh, Richford, Vermont, uh, that had been abandoned years before, and we played a key role in bringing it back to life as a grocery store and a health center and some housing. Um, it was also a very challenging time to be in real estate development. We were just kind of humming as a 
newly established company in 2008 when the real estate um, crash happened. And right. that was, uh, that, I have to tell you, that was a harrowing time to be in, in real estate. It, it, things went wrong that no one had um, really imagined could go wrong. Everyone had some, somewhat thought of uh, affordable housing as being something of a, a recession-proof industry because people always need housing. Um, but that recession was deep and it was deepest in the real estate industry. And uh, there were times during that period uh, where I frankly did not know if the company was going to survive and, and I uh, was not sure um, how I was going to, you know, uh, my personal finances were, were in jeopardy. Uh, that was an enormous learning experience. We were, we were, we were very exposed because we were, we had uh, four major projects in Vermont, New Hampshire underway, and we were, had a great deal of debt, which is the way you get large real estate development projects built. Um, we um, sorted our way through that very uncertain time, and we brought all of those projects in for, uh, we, we got them done. And we were just emerging from that period when the Burlington mayor's race uh, was coming into focus in 2011. And, as, and, and I had, throughout this period, maintained my interest in, in politics and governance. I had been the chair of the Chittenden County Democratic Party. I had worked on uh, very hard on a prior mayoral race of a woman named Hinda Miller and had seen really up close what it took to run for mayor in Burlington. And as that race was coming into focus, it became clear to me, first of all, that um, the city of Burlington was in real financial trouble. Um, the city had come through that recession uh, in a tough place for, as a result of a number of mistakes made back in the late 2000s uh, regarding the airport and regarding uh, Burlington Telecom. And uh, it, it was very clear that the mayor at the time was not going to be reelected because of those mistakes. And it was also clear that none of the people who were talking about running really had a financial background. And having lived through the, the real estate crash, um, I knew that I had something to offer to Burlington in working its way out of, uh, out of those financial problems. And, and I didn't think anyone else who was running really uh, had that kind of expertise. So I thought, you know, it's a good time for me to make a transition in my career and that we were bringing these other projects to completion. Um, and it was also a time when I really had something unique to offer to the voters of Burlington. And I thought it was worth putting that forward. And right. so I jumped into the race. So was it ever sort of something that you had uh, envisioned happening or was it because of the combination of all these events that, you know, you decided this is, this is the right time to put my name in the ring for, for mayor? I mean, you could have probably have maybe run for, you know, uh, for the house or for any other positions. Right. Um, no, it, it was, uh, uh, the mayor's job was, had long been particularly interesting to me. It was the public office that I had the most perspective on at that point. I had been the air, an airport commissioner. The, the city of Burlington owns the Burlington International Airport yep. as an advisory commission. And I had served as an airport commissioner, uh, for at that, you know, when I got into the race for eight years, um, and so I had I'd come to understand local government a bit through that lens. I also, um, you know, I am the son of an architect. I had had that 15-year uh, career uh, as a builder, 
and mayors, a large part of the mayor's job um, is related to land use policy and development. And uh, I also thought that, you know, that expertise, uh, that experience of, you know, having served, had that first career uh, in housing and uh, development, I thought that that was good background for being mayor. And I, I got to say, I think that that's my five years in the job now that I was right about that. I think it is. Uh, if you look around the country, you know, it's actually not a lot of successful mayors do have a, a background in real estate in one way or another. There's a pretty close nexus there between the careers. So uh, it is uh, it is the office that was most interesting to me then, and, and it is to this day. I got to tell you, there's not too many um, better jobs in public service in Vermont. Uh, I'm not sure there are any better jobs uh, than, than being the mayor, mayor of Burlington. Uh, it's uh, I feel very fortunate to, to serve in this role, and it, it is the the job I had had an eye on for some time and felt best qualified for. So was there a plan B if you hadn't succeeded, or was this sort of um, the be all and all? I don't know what would have happened uh, if I had not won, and, and it's a really good question. Uh, you probably know the story. I don't know if you're, I'm sure all your listeners do not. I mean, it, it was something of a long shot candidacy seemed at the start. Um, I had to probably thought the biggest challenge immediately out of the box is I had to win the democratic caucus. I mean, I, I, I had long been a Democrat. I, you know, as we've discussed, I had worked for democratic elected officials, um, and identify as being a Democrat. And so if I was going to run, I was going to run as a Democrat. And um, to, to get the support of the Democratic Party uh, required winning a caucus. Uh, and that caucus took place in November of 2011. And there were three other candidates who uh, entered into that competition. And all of them had uh, served in elected office for some time uh, prior to 2011, either city councilors or legislators or state senators. It was uh, not at all clear that um, I was going to uh, be successful at uh, winning that nomination. And, uh, you know, as the competition itself unfolded on a Sunday afternoon in November, it was a six-hour-long caucus and ended up going wow. through three three rounds of, of voting that afternoon. Um, and uh, I was in second place each, after each of the first two ballots. And the rules were you had to get to 50% of the vote uh, plus one uh, in order uh, to um, you, you we're going to keep voting until someone um, right emerges had uh, you know emerged right and after the third round I, I was in second place by a significant margin after each of the first two rounds and then after the third round uh, they they uh, counted up the votes and they announced vote total and my opponent had 541 votes and I had 540 votes. Um, uh, it looked, it looked for a moment like I might have lost the, uh, caucus. Uh, but then it, it, it there was a, a couple things became clear. There was a number of spoiled ballots. <laughs> uh, so he does, he did not have a majority plus when they did a recount, it was a tie. It was a dead tie. Oh my goodness. After the recount. <laughs> one of the, one of, one of, one of the ballots had been incorrectly count, counted. And, uh, you know, that was sort of an amazing result that no one had expected, um, to make a long story a little shorter, uh, the party decided to suspend the caucus at that point because many people had left and we came back and had a fourth, fourth ballot, 
about uh, uh, almost a month later, and I worked very hard. Uh, I had some great supporters who worked very hard during that period. And when we came back and had the fourth ballot, then it w- you know we ended up winning uh, uh, by a substantial margin. Um, and but for, you know this came very close not to ever happening. So I feel wow. uh, uh, I don't know what would have ha- what I would have done. I Certainly by that time, you know, having campaigned as a candidate for the first time by then, I certainly, uh, it was quite contagious and I loved it. Uh, but if I had lost, I don't know what would have happened. So I suppose you've got to be careful for what you wish for because you then <laughs> became the mayor. And I look at uh, President Trump uh, versus candidate Trump, and I can't help but think that, you know, he walked into a very rude awakening once he got to actually see the true challenge of the job that he had landed. Can you talk to me about the the challenges of running a campaign to be elected for the first time versus the realities that you face on day one when you actually become that role that everybody has voted in? It is a um, huge transition to make, especially if, like President Trump is having to do, and and like I had to do then, uh, uh, assuming uh, public office for the first time. Um, uh, There there was uh, only three weeks between the day I was elected and the day I was sworn in. Um, it was a pretty amazing three weeks. It included a visit to Burlington by President Obama. Um, and uh, oh, cool. that was quite a heady st- start. I got to greet him as he came off of Air Force One um, out at the Burlington airport. Um, and uh, I got a very good piece of advice from Howard Dean, who is one of my early supporters that um, who advised me strongly to find someone uh, experienced and trusted to start working on the transition long before election day in case I won. Um, and there's an individual named Andrew Savage uh, who did that for me. And so we were, unlike, uh, unlike the Trump transition, which uh, has been incredibly disorganized and uh, emerged in fits and starts, uh, we had planned for that three-week transition, and um, you know, I was uh, as ready as you can be. I think when I uh, started on uh, April second, um, two thousand twelve, that, that surprised you. Well, looking back now, five years later, uh, I realized I had no idea how to work and the importance of working with the city council at the time. Um, I made an early mistake an unfortunate mistake uh, where um, I announced to the city attorney, uh, my appointment for the city attorney would be without doing any uh, preparatory work, you know, without, without talking to any counselors ahead of time about what I planned to do. And uh, that appointment ended up not working out. And uh, that was, uh, uh, it, it was really unfortunate because the individual who um, I put forward was a, you know, a, close, a friend and a great lawyer, and it was a loss to the city when he was uh, not able to serve because we kind of made that mistake. We now, um, years later, work, I think, very well with the city council and and, uh, and have learned how to roll new initiatives out to the public. Uh, fortunately, you know, I was able to recover from that mistake by finding another, a uh, few months later, another great attorney to serve. Uh, as my city attorney, uh, Eileen Blackwood, who has served now for almost the entire five years that I've been in office and, and is uh, and is wonderful. So I recovered from that one and it was an important lesson to learn 
I think uh, early. I've seen, I think I've um, seen that episode on Game of Thrones before. <laughs> you gotta get you gotta get the, <laughs> the, the approval of the council. <laughs> well, we have you know. It, it, I mean, that's actually a very interesting thing that I also didn't fully appreciate about local government um, until I was in this role. Is you know each city is different and each city uh, has its own constitution uh, in their city charter and um, that um, every city works differently you know every it's almost like a fingerprint right every city mm -hmm. is unique because no no two charters are identical and um, the Burlington Charter is unusual in that it really does give uh, it, it is a strong this expression, it's a strong mayor form of government, but it's also a strong city council form of go government. Um, it is really shared power. It is a shared management of the city in a kind of profound way. So you really can't effectively be mayor in Burlington without being able to collaborate with the council. You need seven of the 12 votes to do anything. And we have worked to have a larger consensus on, on major uh, decisions. And uh, we saw it as a major responsibility to rebuild trust in City Hall, in the mayor's office. And a big part of doing that was to rebuild the trust between the council and the mayor's office. So from the, you know, after that early mistake, um, we have worked really hard to uh, make sure the counselors uh, are given the information and the time and the uh, resources they need to uh, jointly uh, make decisions with us as the charter requires. Right. So I want to wrap up here and but to ask you two more questions that are related to the actual job of being a mayor. Um, I know we live in a very progressive area of the country, so I'm curious how you balance the needs of the city versus staying true to the progressive values of the majority of the city's residents, you know, and um, how do you align your own personal values to the work necessary uh, to actually make the city function? Well, I feel very lucky uh, to be the mayor of a city that does have such progressive, you know, not in a partisan way, but, you know, small p progressive values. Right. Um, uh, I, I think there are um, a lot of local governance issues uh, where having that a, a community that has that progressive perspective is very important and allows me the freedom to do the right thing and uh, and advance the community in a way that um, would not be possible in a more uh, conservative community. Yeah. So I, mean, I I can only imagine sort of the the level and or amount rather of context switching that uh, you have to do within your role. Do you find it easy to compartmentalize things? Because I'm assuming like from one minute to the next, you're either talking budget issues, bike paths, policing, racial and cultural issues, housing, downtown development, you name it. I mean, the list is endless of the number of things that are happening within within a city at any given time. Uh, how do you keep up with that? And do you find it easy to leave those things behind once you leave the office and go home? <laughs> um, that's a very perceptive uh, observation of the mayor's job. It does uh, span all of those things. Uh, and it includes going, you know, scooping ice cream at uh, free cone day at Ben and Jerry Jerry's, and it involves uh, a meeting with uh, six, sixth graders uh, uh, in their civics class when they um, when they come down, uh, you know, from one of our uh, middle schools. 
you know, and it involves uh, jumping into Lake Champlain in the in the middle of February for the Special Olympics. So it, it I, I love that aspect of the job, how um, varied it is, and how um, unpredictable it is. Uh, uh, any mayor will tell you that there are many times uh, in the job where you come into work thinking you're spending the day doing one thing, and and then events happen, and you know have to completely reorient yourself. I've I've always been someone who had a broad set of interests. And, um, you know, it's kind of a generalist, uh, in a sense, you know, I've, uh, I played three sports in, in high school and, uh, that appeals to me about the job being involved in a broad array uh, of things and having to have a, a command of, um, uh, some level of detail in a, in a, in a huge number of areas. And, right. uh, I've been blessed. I was born with a, a good memory somehow. And that has, uh, that has helped in doing that. Um, uh, you know, I can't say I'm always able to turn it off when I go home, and that may be the most challenging part of the the job is um, that I also do have two young daughters at home, and uh, public service and being a good father um, uh, are hard to square. We work at that, and um, it's a lot. I, I guess I got to tell you that's another reason why I wasn't exaggerating when I say it's you know the mayor's job may be the best job in public service in the state, and then you know. I'm a 10 minute walk uh, from my house to city hall and um, I don't have to travel very, very much. Uh, most of the, most of the great majority of the job takes place in the same 10 square miles of uh, Burlington and I'm able to get home for dinner, you know, most nights, uh, not quite as uh, the upbringing I had uh, where we, it was really every night, but, uh, but I am get, able to get home for dinner many nights. We have breakfast together almost all the time and I'm able to, uh, sustain uh, a pretty good balance um uh which is a, which is critical otherwise I, I don't know how i would do this it would, it would it, 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 you need you know it's my girls are three and 11 right now and they they need two parents well i want to get you home in time for dinner so um in closing <laughs> if if you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself what words of wisdom would you say to yourself That is a great question, and not one I don't think I've ever uh, um, quite considered. I um, uh, I think um, um, you know I, I think what maybe I would try to tell that self, and I think it is good advice uh, in general for younger people. I think uh, uh, too many of us spend our twenties and uh, 30s um, uh, concerned and anxious that they, uh, you know, that they're that we're not going to uh, find our calling, uh, or um, uh, worried that um, each professional step may not, um, maybe a, you know, might might be a misstep. Um, and I did many different things uh, from the time I graduated college. Uh, uh, till the time I was elected mayor, um, you know, we skipped over some of them. I mean, I was a sports writer uh, for a short time as well while in, in college. And uh, fortunately for me, and it I can't, obviously it doesn't work out so well for everybody, but um, uh, it would be nice to be able to go back and, and tell the 26-year-old who uh, was, uh, you know, concerned uh, that, um, that this all, that this 
seemingly eclectic uh, career was actually all going to fit together ultimately <laughs> and that all the things I did during my 20s and 30s uh, uh, has come together in a, in a job that, um, you know, I use, I use that writing skill all the time as mayor. Uh, the, uh, the, time, the time that I spent uh, in front of uh, community boards advocating for projects has served me uh, very well. The, 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 the time that I was a you know, low-level staffer for campaigns uh, ended up being really important. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it um, it would have been reassuring back then. I might have <laughs> I might have had enjoyed my twenties and thirties uh, even more <laughs> if uh, if I had had some confidence that it was all building towards something that made sense. Um, Absolutely. And people tried to tell me that uh, at the time, and I didn't really believe them. And uh, maybe that was important. I mean, you do need to <laughs> you need to be driven and worried about where your career is going to to get to where you need to get. But uh, but it it uh, it would be funny to have that conversation. <laughs> Wonderful. And let let me let me say that to people oh, who might be considering a job in in public service, yeah. uh, it, it might not be obvious to everybody that um, uh, I think one of the great things about public service, uh, kind of like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, you, you know, said in in that great quote where he said that you know any a great thing about it is that anyone can serve. Mm-hmm. And that um, that is true of uh, public service in general and uh, largely true of elected office as well. Is And it is a great thing about it is that there are many legitimate, valuable paths to um, elected office. And our institutions, our state and local institutions benefit uh, from having people that come to office that are not necessarily lawyers uh, that uh, that have had some of these other alternative careers. You know, we got lots, we got plenty of lawyers in, in elected office. I think uh, people who have alternative careers should not uh, sell themselves short and they should know that they um, can offer something important uh, to uh, state and local institutions and they um, consider stepping forward because it is a remarkably rewarding um role to play in any community. Uh, The job of mayor, um, uh, we feel, and and the people who work with me, I think, feel that we are directly impacting the lives of uh, thousands of people um, every day in the work that we do. And and there's a few more, I think, fulfilling jobs in life than uh, to know that you, uh, you are providing that kind of value to the people that you live near. I think when I think too often when people think about a role in public service, they think about state, state or federal office, and um, more people should think about local office as a route to making important public contributions. Absolutely! Wow, that's uh, very inspirational stuff, especially for somebody like myself who is often sort of uh, toyed with the idea but never actually pulled the trigger. So, but. I want to just thank you because uh, for the last five years, uh, the running of local government in Burlington has been under your steady rudder. Um, I have no idea how many meetings you've attended, how many thousands of hands you've had to shake, speeches you've written, interviews you've given, decisions you've made. But um, what I do know is that the city of Burlington is better off for it. So on behalf of the thousands of residents of Burlington and the greater Chindon County area uh, that have benefited from your leadership, please accept my heart. Thank you. And uh, not only 
have you set the tone for the future of the city, but you've also immeasurably enriched our community. And I also wanted to say mm. thank you personally for taking the time to meet with me. I cannot imagine how busy your schedule is and what you're going to be doing after you hang up with me here. But um, it's an amazing feeling to know that someone in your capacity would take the time to meet with me. So thank you very much. And I wish you all the best oh. in the next couple of years. Well, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you. I don't get to do interviews like this uh, very often at all. This one has been unique. And um, I'll tell you, having uh, lived through the narrative you described, those are absolutely valuable uh, to, to, to connect with my last comment. Uh, those would be valuable perspectives uh, and uh, experiences to, to bring to local government. So I hope you do uh, uh, take the plunge yourself uh, at some point. And thank you for your kind words. That was very generous of you. Thank you very much, Mayor. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Next time on the podcast, On the Shoulders of Giants, I welcome to the show John and Jen Kimmick, the founders of the Alchemist Brewery and the creators of Heady Topper, arguably the most famous craft beer in the world. Like many times in our relationship, we just follow our gut instinct and it usually leads us in the right direction. So we came back to Vermont with the idea that we were going to find a place to start a brew pub. And even then, it took us another two years of working crappy jobs and saving money and refining a business plan and, and running numbers and everything, you know, designing menus until we found the right location and were able to scrape together enough resources to actually do it. It was, you know, we were broke by the time we opened. We spent every penny we had, um, and people would tell us, you know, don't plan on making money the first year. It's going to take five years before you break even. Um, and, but we were out of money, and we thought that was a really um, dumb business plan if you're not going to make money for five <laughs> years. We knew we had to make money. So the first day when we opened and people were lining up, it was so much weight off of our shoulders. It was mm -hmm. such a relief. And, you know, from that moment, it was just uh, the momentum kept building and building. Um, people were so happy we were there. Thank God, because the day after we opened up the pub, um, we found out we were pregnant. So, you know, it was a wild ride. And, you know, it's not for everyone because you're risking everything. You're putting everything on the line. And we've done that multiple times since we've started our restaurant. Um, so it's not for everyone, but for us, um, we like the risk. We like taking chances. But you need to be confident in what you're doing. You know, you can't waver and you need to have strong financial plans. You have to have great beer. You need to get the best ingredients. You need quality from start to finish, but you also um, need to have guts. <laughs> need to be tough.